Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bible Doesn't Say That, where our contestants will have to determine if a famous phrase is in the Bible or not. And here is our host, Jack Potts. It's me, Jack Potts, and welcome to another episode of The Bible Doesn't Say That. Will you welcome to the stage, Stephen and Savannah. Stephen, it says here that you are a microbiologist who fosters abandoned dogs and likes long walks on the beach, ladies. Tell us a little bit more yeah. about your dogs. Yeah, I've got a, I got two Pomeranians, uh-huh. um, and both of them can fit in a um, dog stroller. A, a stroller? Yeah. <laughs> so you walk, let me, let me just, you walk your dog on a yeah. stroller. Okay, all right, in Savannah, awesome. It says here that, that you're in the oil industry uh, in, in construction, and you like to drive big trucks. Um, how big are your trucks? They're real big. Eight-inch lift, 37-inch mud tires. You scare me. And let's get ready to play. And up first, we got Stephen. Stephen, does the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? Um, yes. Oh, Oh, it looks like Stephen won't be tithing on that $5 because the Bible actually doesn't say that. Here in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, It does say, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's the helpless. Ooh, bro, read your Bible. Okay, next up, we've got Savannah. Savannah, we started off a little weak, but we're hoping that you can pull us back. Here goes nothing. Savannah, are you ready? Yes. Does the Bible say, neither a borrower nor a lender be? I think I know this. Uh, yes. Oh, no, that's actually Shakespeare in Hamlet. It looks like you're going to need to go back and read some of that KJV Bible. Quick recap for today's episode. Both contestants actually got them wrong. Rodney, what'd they win? Well, Jack, they won absolutely nothing. And that's all she wrote for today's episode. Make sure you stay tuned for next week's episode of The Bible Doesn't Say That. You know, that's amazing because I think Eli missed his calling, uh, just to be honest. Hey, welcome to Vern Hickory this morning. If you're uh, with us online, thanks for being here today. If you're in the house today in any of our services, man, we're so honored uh, that you would just give us your time uh, today and give us this moment today and also just welcome to a new series uh, called The Bible Doesn't Say That. We've spent all summer long in the book of Psalms just looking at just some powerful truths from 3,000 years ago of how we can point our lives and where we can live and how we can live. And now we're launching into these ideas of, of warnings of the Bible doesn't say some of the things that we believe that it says. And, and I, I know what you're thinking, because you're thinking the same thing I would. Matt, why would we look? This is church, right? Aren't we supposed to look at the things that the Bible does say? Well, yes, we are, but I also think it's important to realize just some of the cultural things that we say, some of the colloquial phrases that we use, maybe even some of the fairy tales we read, or some of the sayings or old wives' tales that our grandmothers gave us, that really the Bible, it doesn't say them. And and here's here's what I know. There's so many of us that have fallen into a lot of these traps. 
And, and we've taken these sayings or we've taken these things that, that really are part of normal culture and we've taken them to be the same thing as truths from God. And what we've done is, is we've allowed those things to shape our theology and, and we've designed our lives, here's the scary part, around some false statements and around some false things that, that are really just cultural truths. And, and here's, here's what, what I find interesting about this whole thing. Um, Satan is really good at this game. He's really, really, really good. In fact, if you think back all the way back to Jesus' encounter in the wilderness, Jesus even dealt with this idea where Satan will take a half-truth or something that is almost sounds like the Bible and he will twist it just enough so that we can plant our lives into something that, that we really have no business planting our lives into. This is kind of what Jesus did when or Jesus dealt with when, when Satan was, was tempting him in the wilderness. And, and here's what we've done. One of the part, hard parts about a lot of these phrases, and we're going to look at a lot of them over the next couple of weeks, is, is that some of them actually bring comfort to our lives. And they actually bring like some moments in our lives that, that we really need in that moment or we really need in that time. And when some well-meaning person says them to us, we, we adopt them and they make us feel better. Catch this temporarily. And you know some of these sayings that I'm talking about. You know some of these things. And, and I mean, we're not going to have time to hit them all, but let me give you a couple before we get into today. I'm, one of them we just mentioned right there, and it's the, this idea that, that, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard anybody say that before? You know, God will just help those who help themselves. You know who usually says that? Somebody that wants you to work for them. Uh, that, that's usually who, who brings that up. Here's another one that, that, I, that I like. So in some well-meaning person will, will come to you, or, or shade tree theologian, and they'll go, well, you know, Matt, faith can fix anything. Well, not really. It really can. Or, or here's one that just infuriates me. And at funerals, I mean, I don't know about you, you get to go to a lot of funerals. Someone, I mean, notorious, all the time in a funeral, someone will say these words, you know what, God just needed another angel. You know it's true. You've seen the truck in the parking lot, right? With the angel wings with Joey uh, written below it. That, that's not the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that, and I get it. It's like a comforting statement, right? Like, oh, God just needed another angel, needed another rose in his garden. No, he doesn't say that when somebody does. What, what about this one? I, just let your conscience be your guide. I know you're going to college. Just let your conscience. No, don't let your conscience be your guide. No, it never ends well. Never. In fact, it got us into most of the troubles we're still dealing with right now, right? But, but we've said it, haven't we? Just follow your heart. Just follow. Or how about this way? If it doesn't hurt anybody, do it. You know? But these things, they're, they're not the Bible. Or, or here's, here's one. You may have grown up in this tradition. If you believe, you will receive. You grew up there. You were there, right? If you'll just believe, you'll receive. No, that's not how, how it works. That's not in the Bible. And I know I just, I just destructed somebody's whole theology with those statements right there. I just tore it all up. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with these this, that, that we do. What happens is, is these things seep into our hearts. They seep into our lives. And they begin to skew our theology to the point to where those lies take over the truth that God wants to give us. And what happens is we begin to live our lives around those statements or those truths or those lies. And when kind of the, when the walls fall in, those are the things we're standing on. 
So to open up the series uh, this morning, uh, just kind of a part of an introduction, I, I heard a saying a long time ago, and, and you know anytime a pastor says a long time ago, he, he, he didn't make it up. I didn't make the statement up. I really believe the statement is from Charles Stanley. Man, I'll probably give him credit. He's old and said a lot of really good things over the years, so I'll just go ahead and give it to him. But he said this. He said, in life, most people are in one of three categories. He said, most people are either A, about to step into an incredibly difficult season of their life, B, are in an incredibly difficult season of their life right now, or C, they're just stepping out of a difficult situation. So what he's trying to make, and his point is, is that life is not a bed of roses. Either A, you're in a situation, B, you're about to step into one, or C, you're about to come out of one. And I know there's a lot of you, you're nodding your heads in this because you're like, you know what, Matt, if I had to kind of look back at my life, I feel like most of my life has been around those three statements. Either I'm neck deep in it, either I'm coming out of it, I'm pretty dirty, or I know that I'm diving off the diving board into whatever's about to happen. And I know how many of you would say this morning, Matt, that's my life. I mean, if you kind of put my life, whether it be through health or finances or situations, it kind of rolls into one of those three categories. Can I just be really transparent with you this morning that I think I could get that tattooed on me? I really believe that that's my life. I, I feel like I live a lot of my life in one of those three situations. I mean, I'll, I'll just bring you into my world a little bit. I'll put my cards on the table. My 16-year-old brother was killed in a car accident when I was a sophomore in college. When, when, I, mean, I mean, it just destroyed me. I was in it. Melissa and I, in between Blake and Dalton, our two boys, we lost a baby in between that. I mean, to, to a miscarriage. In the downturn of 2008, had some kind of housing kind of investments out there, and it was so bad, my bank went out of business. You know that's bad. When that happens, you can, my kids ain't going to college anymore. It's just, that's just how it works right there. It just happened. Melissa's had two strokes, my wife, and a heart procedure. I mean, health stuff like crazy. I had a little spot on my chest that turned into stage three melanoma cancer in my lymph nodes. Talk about a year's worth of cancer treatments. We've walked through Melissa's residual of stuff from her strokes, from her life, and all of this stuff we're doing right now. Talk about seasons of life. I've had to pastor a church in a pandemic, for goodness sake. I mean, the last year has just been... Not good, all right? Not good. I almost said it. Not good. I mean, one year. Do you realize today is one year of me stepping into this role? And boy, it's been a year. Let me just tell you. It has been Don't clap. It's been miserable. Uh, it, it really has. I mean, think about it. One of the biggest racial tensions of, since my lifetime, for sure, probably most of our lifetimes, a national pandemic where you're shamed for coming to church and shamed for not going to church, shamed for wearing a mask, shamed for not wearing a mask, shamed for watching CNN, Fox, or even ESPN because shouldn't be even playing sports. I mean, you're shamed for everything right now. But, but that's the life that we're living in right now, isn't it? I mean, and here's the thing. I know that my story is just like your story. It is. It's just got different chapters, but it's the same thing. 
It feels the same. I'm either in it, I'm coming out of it, or I'm on the diving board diving into it right now in my life. And we're all in this spiraling together of life, whether it be just bad health reports or bad finances or relationship woes or my friends have left me or depression, fill in the blank. And when that weight gets so heavy that people begin to notice it, there's always, all right, there's always, you're out there and you know who you are, there's always that one Christian in our lives, when we get to the place we feel like our life is about to crumble, that comes into our lives when we can't take it anymore, some well-meaning Christian gives us this annoying Christian advice, right? And here's what they say. Well, Matt, I know, I know, I know this is hard. I know everything is upside down, but Matt, here it is. God, here's our statement for today the Bible doesn't say. God will never give you, here it is, more than you can handle. <laughs> You've said it. Those of you who just laughed, that's, that's your go-to line. All right, you walk by a coffin, you don't know what to say because nobody knows what to say, really. I mean, it's like, well, I had a great aunt that died once, and let me just tell this guy that lost his wife that statement. No, don't say that either. But this is what we do. We get into this situation, and, and we've all said it. You know what, brother? Because you got to use the word brother when you're talking like this, right? God will never give you. More than you can handle. To which, here, here's the thing, as a pastor, part of me just wants to punch those people in the face, but I know I can't do that, all right? And I just need to self-confess, I can't do that. But here's the thing, the reality is life is about as opposite to that as anything. It really and truly is. Here's the thing, God is going to give you more than you can handle. And we just need to understand that about life. We need to understand that it's going to be harder than we can get to. So here's the question. Why do we believe that? Why do we get to this point in our lives where we believe that God is not going to give us more than we can handle? I can tell you why some of us believe it. It's because we have misinterpreted a verse of Scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to go ahead and get there with me because we're going to spend some time there and then we're going to spend some time all over the Bible. 1 Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth. Actually, it was to the church at Corinth. And if you know a whole lot about the church of Corinth, it was a, it was the, I mean, the church of Corinth was in this really difficult situation. The town of Corinth was kind of like the Las Vegas of the day. It was just nasty. It was immoral. There was idolatry that was happening all over the place. And it was beginning to seep into the church, this Gentile kind of church community. And it was just the incredibly raw society that was having to deal with the woes and deal with the stuff that was happening out there. And what Paul's doing in the book of 1 Corinthians is he's encouraging this church at Corinth not to give in to where the rest of the society was. Don't give in, he's saying. Don't be tempted to this. Don't go to this. Don't do this. Jesus is enough. He keeps saying it over and over and over and over all through these first 10 chapters of Corinthians. And then all of a sudden, we get to this incredibly powerful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where he's speaking to these people, and it shapes their life. In fact, let me just read this verse over to you, because this is the verse that we have all jumped off the deep end and taken this out of context. Here it is. This is what Paul says to them. Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you, except that which is common to man. All right, we're going to dive back into this a little deeper later. And God, here it is, and God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There it is. That's, that's where we all get it from right there, all right? That's where we all take it. We circle it. That's our funeral. That's our sorrow advice. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, notice the scripture right here. It never says that God is not going to allow you to have more than you can bear. It never says that you will always know personally the way to navigate your way through this situation. It never says that you're going to know the way out. It never says that you're going to even know why you face the trial that you're in. It never says that God is going to get rid of the trial today. God is going to get rid of the trial tomorrow or even that God is going to get rid of it later on in your life. What it does say is that when temptations hit us, when those times that we're making decisions to either cave into culture or to walk in the name and the power and the, and the majestic power of Jesus, that God will always give us an out. He will always provide for us a way to know him, to worship him, and to be with him. What it's saying is, is that you might not know that today, but you will know in eternity what he does. Because remember, God is playing the long game. He's playing the long game with our lives. Yes, is he concerned with now? Yes, but he's more concerned with eternity spending it with you and with me. That's what Jesus was for, right? That's why he gave his life as a ransom for my sins so that I can know who he is. So what this is saying is that you're not going to be tempted. You can put the word test in there. It's a synonym. Beyond what you can bear when, here it is, when you are trusting and relying on Jesus' power. That's what it's saying right here. So here's what I need to do. I need, to just, I need you to just think back about the Bible for a minute because we need to debunk this myth. The Bible never says that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. You say, how do, how do I know that? Well, because I can, I can just look at the Bible and tell. The book of Judges. In the book of Judges, Gideon steps up to the plate in front of all these people and he says, hey, I am the weakest of my clan. I am I'm the least of my family. And he, and he looks at God and says, God, I don't have what it takes to do this, Moses, an incredible leader. If you remember back in Moses' life, he said the same thing, right? He looks at God after he was called, and Moses is like, God, I can't do this. I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not a good leader. I can't walk this in my life. Esther, Esther stands before the king, stands before God and says, hey, I am incredibly afraid to the point of where I can't even take a step. King David, we looked at him all summer long in the summer of Psalms. We saw this over and over and over. When his sin was barren on him, when he was at the point of no return, King David says this in Psalm 38, verse 4. King David says that my guilt, what did he say, has overwhelmed me like a burden that is too heavy to bear. So this guy that is a man after God's own heart has literally just debunked the myth right here, right? When he says that I am overwhelmed. Now, if I'm overwhelmed, that means I'm whelmed beyond what I can do, right? It means that I can't do anymore. I can't get there anymore. And what does he say? This is just too much for me to bear. It's too much. Then he goes on in verse 8, and listen to what he says. He says, I'm feeble. And I'm utterly crushed, and I groan with anguish of heart. What is King David saying? He's saying, I don't have what it takes. And, and I know what some of you are thinking, well, Matt, those are Old Testament. Okay, well, let's, let's look at the New Testament for a minute. 
Let's look at the Apostle Paul for just a minute. In 2 Corinthians, his second book to the same people, chapter 1, verse 8, he says this. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the providence of Asia. We don't have time to go back through all the troubles, but believe me, they were incredible. And they were way, 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 way bigger than your ingrown toenail. That's all I can tell you right here, okay? But listen to what he says. We were under great pressure. Far beyond. Now, this is the same guy that says that God's not going to give you more, tempt you more than you can handle. He says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises. The dead. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying right here, this is more than I can do. This is more than I can handle. God has put a weight on us that we felt like he was killing us. Now that debunks the myth that God's not going to give us more than we can handle. Why? Because Paul, you just said it, right? This is more than I can do. I can't do it. Even Jesus. Jesus in Mark chapter 14. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's about to become sin on our behalf. And he's praying to God as the sin of the world is being placed on his back. And what did Jesus do? Jesus debunks this myth, right? Mark chapter 14, verse 33. Then he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And listen to what Jesus said that I so resonate with in my life. My soul is overwhelmed. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that right there? That the creator of the universe literally just said, this is too much. It's too much. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, he says, to the point of death. Jesus is sweating drops of blood. He is praying on our behalf. And Jesus realizes at that moment that God never said that I'm gonna give you, not going to give you more than you can handle. So here's what I need to do this morning. Number one, I need to never hear those words, God will never give you more than you can handle ever again. Why? Because he does. He does. But here's the question. Why does he? Right? That's what we need to answer because that's the next logical thing. Because I'm just not going to stand up here and go, ah, that's wrong. Don't worry about it. I want to give you the why. So here's the thing. If you're in one of those seasons right now where you feel like you are heavy, and you are under this deep weight of despair, why is it that God leaves you there? Why is it? I don't think I've ever heard anybody tell me why, but I want to give you two reasons. There's a bunch, but I just want to give you the two main ones this morning, because I think it's important for us to understand these. Number one, God will allow us to have more than we can handle to teach us, here it is, to teach us to depend on his presence. God allows the weight to be more than I can do, more than I can bear, to teach me to rely on him. And catch this, not me. Not me. Let me, let me just be very honest and, 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 and say this. How many of you, when life is going really well, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you, when life is going really, really well, you have a tendency at that moment to forget God's presence? You say, Matt, I would never. Okay, let's just be honest. This is a safe space here, okay? 
This is a safe space. I mean, think about it. All is good. Life is great. The kids are actually doing what they're supposed to do. The bills are all being paid. Work is not horrible, and, and it's okay right now. Family is fine. Everybody is healthy. And what do we do? We get to this point in our lives where we're kind of in this mode of, yeah, God, I know you're there, and I know you're present, and I know you're around, but God, I'll check in with you later. Why? Because at that moment, we just don't feel an urgent need for a Savior, right? We just don't. Why? Because we're, th we're thinking about ourselves at that moment. But what happens, all right, let's just be honest. What happens when the bottom falls out? What happens when life caves in? When the opposite happens? When the money runs out? When the kids become like many little demons in my house and the bills can't be paid and i got to live with that guy for another year? I mean, what is it? What happens? I go from this idea of I just don't feel an urgent need to now what is my language? It is God, help me, right? That's what happens in our lives. You know you've been there. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. I know you've been there because I've been there a lot in my life. Why? Because I'm preconditioned to, to trust myself. I'm preconditioned to do things on my own power. But when the life falls around me, when the opposite happens, when I don't know which ends up, where do I turn? If I know that if I'm a believer, where do I turn? I turn to the Lord, right? I turn to his presence. In fact, I love, love, love that Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, this, this guy in the Old Testament, man. He is called to go reach Nineveh, and, and he basically looks at God. He's like, nah, I'm out. I'm taking this boat. I'm out. Uh, he, he's like, I'm, I'm gone. Um, and and so, so he jumps in the boat. God says, okay, watch this. Ends up being thrown off the boat because the storm's there. A giant fish swallows him, unless you're my age, and then it was a well back then. Uh, a, a giant fish swallows him. And in the middle of this situation, Jonah goes from this idea of I'm in control, I'm in control, I'm in control, to now he realizes that, no, 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 no. in the midst of this trouble, God is in control. And listen to what Jonah says in Jonah 2.2. I love this. This should be the theme of my life right here. He says this, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answers me. You want to know where God sometimes lets you sit in the situations that you're in? Because here it is. It is in my distress, let me rhyme, not in my success, that God meets me most. He really is. It's in my sense. That's what he's showing me right here. He's showing us that we crave God in the distressful moments of life. Therefore, sometimes God allows us to sit in these. Like, man, that doesn't sound real fair. It does sound fair when eternity is the goal. It does. And he keeps going. Look at verse 7 in Jonah 2.7. And listen to what Jonah said. Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer, it rose to you. It rose to you. What, is it? what does it mean when you remember something? That means you weren't thinking about it earlier in your success. But because God allowed you to sit in this for a moment, now you're thinking about it and you're praying about it and you're remembering it. And sometimes God allows you to sit in these moments. So here's the challenge for us. Instead of when life gets hard, when we're praying, God, get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out of this situation. We do this all the time. We start saying, God, if you're good, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll do this. And then we get to this point where like, I don't even believe God cares anymore. Where is God? Let me give you a principle to always remember, and here it is. Never let the presence of a storm, never let the presence of a storm in your life cause you to doubt the presence of God. 
Never get it out of your mind that a storm equals that you're not living with God. Why? Because Satan puts it into our lives that if we're in the middle of a storm, it just means that we're not getting out of it. No, no, no. Sometimes God lets us sit in it. He lets us sit in it. Why? Because sometimes that's what it takes to call us to depend on him. Sometimes it is. In fact, King David says this in Psalm 145. He says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In truth. So some of you, you're in the middle of a storm right now. And instead of thinking that, hey, I've got to get myself out of this, why don't we look at it as an opportunity to call to Jesus and realize that we're not alone? And to realize that some of the things that happen in our lives, it's so that we can reconnect with a loving and a graceful and a heavenly Father that wants to walk with us, that wants his presence to be in us, that wants to provide for us and wants to give to us instead of us saying, hey, no, 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 I can just do this thing on my own. That's what we believe. And we believe that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. We believe that we should be handling the situation rather than the presence of God. You see, see, here's the deal. I am convinced. Let me get personal again for a minute. I am convinced that the day my brother died, it was more than I could handle. It was more than I could handle. I'm just going to be honest. And here's what happened. In that broken spirit of a moment, God changed the trajectory of my life, and I would not be here today if it didn't happen. I wouldn't be. I'm convinced I'm convinced that a year's worth of sitting in the cancer lab every third Friday at Kenstone Hospital changed my life. It put a level of dependency on God that I've never had in my life. I've never, even as a professional Christian, right? I've never had it. But it took that in my life. Did I pray to get out of it? Yeah. But did God leave me in that for a year? Why? I don't know all the reasons, but I do know one reason. I learned how to depend to depend. You see, many, many of you, you got the same backstory, right? But sometimes we get to these places and God is looking at us going, hey, it's only when you get to the end of the road and you realize there's nowhere else to go that you look to me and realize you need to depend on me in order to see God move. Sometimes he has to leave us in the situations. And I know, I know that you can experience God on the mountaintops. I know you can. I've been in those moments with people. But I'm going to tell you this about my life. I experienced him so much sweeter in the valleys. So much more powerful in the valleys. I think that's why David said in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, when I get to the bottom, what does he say? I will fear no evil because Jesus, you are with me. You're with me. You see, here's the thing. I would rather be in the valley dependent upon Jesus than on the mountaintop by myself. That's why he leaves us there. So number one, why does he leave us? Why does he give us more than we can handle? Number one, it's just so that we can depend on his presence. But here's number two. This one's a little quicker. It's to allow us to experience his power. He, He leaves us in these situations that are more than I can handle, not only to draw me to his presence, but to show me God's ever eternal power. He does it. What does he do? He wants me. Listen, God wants us to experience his supernatural power because of this. So many of us are really good at doing life on our own. 
We're really good. Why? Because we've always been taught that, right? We've always been taught you're responsible, you're in control, you are the only one that can do it, you should be able to make it through this, you should be strong enough to get through this. But listen, God leaves us in these situations in life so that we can experience his supernatural power. That's why this lie is so just raunchy. Because if we believe that God will only give us what we can handle, what we're saying to God is there's never going to be a moment in my life that I need you to take control with your supernatural power. This is a little deeper than just a saying, right? When we believe that we are in control, that we have all the means, that we have all the power, we have reduced God to nothing more than a friend, and his power is not moving in my life to get me through something. But when we believe that sometimes there's things that I just can't handle, and we can see God's experiential, incredible, supernatural power in our life, the lie is is that we're capable of getting through life without God. Just try harder. You've heard this. Just try harder. Just be more obedient. Just be this. Just go for it. No, sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes we just have to get to a point with God and go, God, I cannot do this. You're going to have to step in, and I'm going to have to sit here till you do. Can, can I just tell you something? This is an incredibly freeing statement. I've just been chewing on it all week. You were not created to have all the power yourself. You were created to need God. When's the last time you thought about that? That you were created to need the power and the presence and to rely on God in everything. In fact, that's what this scripture is saying to us. Our main text, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let me read it to you again. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What does that mean? That means there's nothing new that you're going through that somebody else hasn't gone through and that God has already paved the way. Whatever you're going through right now, it's a common struggle. You're not the first. You're not going to be the last. And it says this, and God is faithful. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. That God is faithful. That's a big promise. And he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What does that mean? That God will not allow these things to eternally take you. He's not going to. It may take you today. It may take you tomorrow. But it's not going to take you eternally. And here's the powerful statement. He will give you. A way out. Do, do you realize that God wants you out? That the desire of God's heart is not for you to sit in the sorrow. The desire of God's heart is for you to fully trust him and depend upon him, fully realize his power, and he wants to deliver you so that you can preach that to others. That's God's plan for your life. I, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says it like this. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle all that you have been given. I love that. And I love how the Apostle Paul, he showed us this statement in 2 Corinthians. If you remember right, 2 Corinthians, Paul is, is praying to God, God, this thorn in my flesh. I, I, I hate it. I gotta get rid of it. I gotta get rid of it. I gotta get rid of it. Remember, he prayed three times. And I'm not talking about like, like, like a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean three seasons of fasting and praying and asking God. And he said, God, take it away from me. And here's the deal. I'm thinking, hey, if God's gonna heal somebody, he's gonna heal Paul, right? I mean, he's a pretty important dude in eternity. He probably should heal him. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, Paul shows us this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, listen to what God said, and this is so good. My grace is sufficient for you. That's unmerited favor. 
For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast. Paul gets a little crazy right here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. What does that mean? I'm gonna boast on the fact that God gives me more than I can handle because when God steps in, he, in my weakness, will be made known. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Now catch this last line. You need to underline or circle this one. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now look, it's conditional, right? When I'm weak, it is only at that point, then I am strong. So if I'm walking around puffed up thinking that I'm never going to have more, then God is, can, he's never going to give me more than I can handle, it's at that point I'm not weak. Why? Because I'm feeling like I just need to be stronger. I need to be stronger. I need to be stronger. But when God gets to the point in my life, he says, you can't handle this. And I go, God, you are right and I am weak. It is at that point God's strength and his power flows through my life. It flows through my life. You see, when I don't have what it takes, it's at that point I lean on a power that does. When I don't have what it takes, it's at that point in my life that I lean on is eternal promises. When I confess I don't have what it takes, it is at that point that God places in me the same power that rose Christ from the dead. When I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. Here's the crazy part about this. God is just waiting on us to confess to him. This is too much. That's not the American way, though, is it? We're taught to be stronger. We're taught to stand up, never show weakness. Man, listen to me. When, I'm going to be straight honest with you. When I feel like standing here and I, when I feel like sometimes it is the least, I have nothing to offer, it's at that point that God steps in and says, I got you. I got you. I got you. This doesn't happen when, I, when I'm on my own. I, I got to thinking all week, I was like, God, I need a word picture for this. This is just a little heavy. It's so here, here's how I can describe this. It's, it's kind of like the difference of, of rowing and sailing. Um, here's the thing. Rowing, it, it's great. I mean, it's fabulous. I don't know about you. It's, it's a fabulous deal, especially when it's 95 degrees outside and you go for like nine hours. It's fabulous, Right? Rowing is, I mean, when you're in a boat and you're like in a little kayak, it's so fun until like hour four and you're sunburned and you're just like, where are we? It's great. Something about rowing that's important. Rowing is, it's only done when my power is in control, right? When I am moving myself forward. That's not where God's called us to live. God has called us to live as if we're sailing. You ever been sailing? I have one time and it was really cool. Didn't know what was going on. I was just enjoying the day. When you're sailing, they tell me, as long as you put the right sail up, the wind takes care of everything else. Man, what a thought. What a thought that goes against this lie, right? My whole life, I've been a rower. I've been a rower. Try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. Be better, be better. But God's going, just put the sail up, you dummy. Just put the sail up. Let me handle it. Let me do it. So here's the deal. Whatever you're going through, it's not yours to hold on to. Give up control. Put the sail up. God wants us to put the sail up and allow him to move. Here's the thing. If you're going to, if you're going to stand for Jesus, it's going to be too much for you to handle. I promise you. Let God's 
power move. If you're going to resist temptation, it's going to be too much for you to handle. Let God's power move. If you're going to live on mission, it's going to be too much for you to handle. Let God's power move. If you're going to make it through cancer, it's going to be too much for you to handle. Let God's power move. If you're going to be that family that chooses to adopt and chooses to foster, I promise you, it's going to be too much for you to handle. Let God's power move. If you're going to invest in ministry, it's going to be too much for you. Let God's power move. If you're going to be married to that woman, it's going to be too much for you. Let God's power move. If you're going to be married to that man, hallelujah, it's already too much. Let his power move. If you're going to raise that teenager, hallelujah, it's going to be too much for you. Let God's power move. Instead of saying, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, God won't give me too much. I'll get it all done. I'll stand on my own. Please know that you were not created to do this life on your own. When I am weak, he is strong. He is strong. Stop rowing and start sailing because his grace is sufficient. His power is eternal. And he wants you to walk into it. Why would God allow you to have more than you can handle? (laughs) To draw you close to his presence and to show you his power. Listen, that gets me excited about taking taking the blows right there because I want that in my life. Because his power is made perfect in my weakness. And I don't have what it takes. Really don't. I want you to do something with me this morning. And wherever you're at, if you're at home or if you're in in the house here, I just want you to bow your heads for a minute. And I just want to get just gut level honest with you for a minute. And, And I just want to ask you, is this where you're living? Are you living in this lie that it's up to you to take care of all this? Because if you are, this is a tough life. You know what, maybe you're walking with a person in a situation right now and and you today, you today just needed to hear that it it was only by catching the wind of God and his power that you can make it. You know, I want to pray for you this morning, if that's you. You know, if you're in that life situation right now where you just feel like it's too heavy, it's too deep, and I don't know what to do, would you do me a favor? Nobody else is looking around. It's just you and God. Would you just confess that today? Would you just lift up your hand and say, God, I'm I'm in a spot right now that I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know why. I do not think I can get out of this. Would you just lift up your hand? Nobody else is looking around. I just want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Just want honesty. This is your confession before the Lord. This is you putting the sail up in the air right here. Say, oh God, yeah, I'm I'm living right there right now. Man, I know I am. I'm there. I want to pray for you, Lord Jesus. Today, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just be real to your children today, that you would show us that you are in control, you would show us as we call on you that your desire is to draw us close to you, and God, you would allow, God, that you would see us in our brokenness, and that, God, we would offer up our lives to you so that your strength can be made perfect in our weaknesses, 
God, we pray today that your grace would flow over us, that it is enough. God, I pray today for those people who have never met you as their Savior, who have never met you as their Lord, who have always tried to do life on their own, that they can realize that they can submit to the maker of the universe, Lord, and that you will step into their lives, you will forgive them of their sins, and you will give them hope. Because God, you provide a way out. Lord Jesus, in the quietness of this moment, in the worshipfulness of this moment, I pray for people who need to just say to you today, dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive me of my sins. And I need you to come into my heart as my Savior and as my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being mine. It's in your name. You know, before we sing today, I'm just going to ask you, if you've given your life to Christ today, if you need to take that next step and offer him up your life, or if you just need somebody to pray with you today, during our socially distanced time, we're just going to ask you to do this. We're going to ask you just to text the word next to the numbers that's on the screen. And here's why we do that. It's not to be awkward. It's just to be it's to be relevant, it's to be real, and to have somebody follow up with you where you're at, to say, hey, I know where you're thinking, I know where you're at, and I just want you to know that I'm behind you. You need to give your life to Christ today? Just text that word next, somebody will call you and talk to you in 24 hours. If you just need somebody to pray for you today, if you just feel like you're in it and you don't know what to do, man, just text that number and somebody will reach out to you today just to say, hey, we're with you, we're here. That's what this church family is about. Let's do something together. Let's stand together. Let's sing for just a moment. Maybe you need to do just a moment of business with the Lord.